are listening to Shining Star Community Church English Ministry Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. Well, welcome to the first Sunday service of the 2016 year. 2016. Recently, my wife and I, we were looking at our insurance information, and we came across my two-year-old daughter's section, and it, it said that she would stop being a dependent in the year 2031. 2031, I'm thinking, Lord, bring the rapture before that happens. It feels so far off, but considering how fast 2015 flew, I have a feeling this year is going to go by even faster. It's going to go by fast, and next thing you know it, you're all married, you all have kids, your kids will be in the youth ministry, and on and on it goes. Time really does fly by. Yeah. So in light of what we've heard last year, the book of James is, and, uh, and what I believe God is leading me to do this year, we'll be going over a new series in Galatians. Galatians. Let me tell you why. One of the greatest lessons we've learned growing up is that nothing is free in life. Nothing isn't free. In fact, you've heard that before. You've heard that saying, there's no free lunch right? No free lunch. You get what you pay for, no discounts. And while that's generally true, I also believe that truth certainly will keep us from being lazy. It, will, it has great practicality into our lives. Um, it will lead us and help us and encourage us and motivate us. But the problem is this. The more you accept that saying as concrete fact for all of your uh, different aspects and arenas in your life, the more difficulty we will have with the gospel, because the thing about God's grace is that it cannot be earned no matter how hard you try because it is free. Hallelujah. It's free. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's grace is free. Now, for half of last year, we spoke on James. James is all about the evidence of your salvation. In other words, there needs to be fruit if you're not obeying God, obedience being fruit, then you don't know God. If you have no desire to know God, then you're not from God, but from the world. See, you see, James is all about the practical nature of our faith, and that faith without works is no faith at all. I remember speaking to a, a person I met who I became friends with through a program that I attended a few years back. He was a nice enough guy, but this was a Christian leadership program. Now, the problem was this, this guy, he would sneak off every so often to get high. And he would, in any moment, go off to smoke his cigarettes. And on the weekends, instead of doing churchy, fellowshipy type of things with the rest of the gang, he would go off and get drunk by himself or find some people to do that with. He would practically and also quite aggressively flirt with all the other sisters too to the point that they will come to me and ask me to set him straight and I said I ain't no bouncer I may be big but I'm sensitive <laughs> but finally it came to a boiling point so being one of the older guys from the group I went up to him and I told him that he need to chill out or get out he asked me why and I told him why he then looked at me and he said this you can't judge me, only God can judge me. Now, that's the biggest cop-out answer I hear people say, whether you're a professing Christian or not. Saying that is to say, I'll wait till God says something about what I'm doing because you're not God, so you have no right. So I looked at him and I said, fool, 
God is judging you, and he's got plenty to say about all that you've been doing and the fact that you have no idea about what God is telling you and about what you're doing only tells me that you have never once cracked open the Bible. There must be evidence for our faith, and our faith must take action. Just saying that you're a Christian isn't good enough. Just believing that you're a Christian is not good enough. Just being born in a traditional Korean or not Korean, Christian household is not good enough. And so the book of James was to help those who think that Christianity is only about believing. Because we all know even the demons believe. So to verify true belief is to see it in action and what it produces. That's why the book of James was so very much in your face, wasn't it? It was so intentional about evaluating your life and the kinds of fruit it brings forth. Fruit like obedience, fruit like love for the lost, fruit like community of believers, fruit like pursuing holiness, and so on. Now on the other side of that coin is this. Even for many of us who have experienced the grace of God, as we live our Christian lives, we find ourselves trying to attach some sort of price tag to his grace. Look, I think we all know that God loves us. I think we know that. I believe that we believe that. But secretly, we think for some reason that his love is dependent on how well we're doing. And so we end up with a performance-based Christianity that acts as if what God does for us is dependent on what we do for him. And so for those who casually read through the book of James and they don't really study for what the real message is, they tend to come out with a sense of legalism. That's all about works, Christianity. That's all about action, just doing and doing and doing. It's all about what I can do and what I have done, and that's wrong. It's deadly wrong. For that reason and the fact that I believe that we have members here who are serving faithfully and diligently, I fear that a sense of legalism can creep up anytime, and when it does, it'll choke our relationship into a professional business agreement rather than an intimate and divine marriage. That's the problem. So I like what Philip Ryken, a famous author, commentator, theologian, said about Galatians. He said this, Galatians is a book for recovering Pharisees. It's a book for recovering Pharisees. Now, I don't know about you, and I don't know how you responded the past half year that we've been going through James. I hope that you found great encouragement that there has to be obedience followed by the words of God. I hope you're encouraged, but I also know that there might be some of you thinking, well, you know what, maybe I just need to do more of that work and action and not stress enough in terms of what God has done and stress more on what you have done. And so that's why I felt the Lord tugging my heart to lead in the series on Galatians, because it does the opposite here now. Now, I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you, I'm a recovering Pharisee. I am. Growing up, I thought I was always saved, even before I was saved. I was born to a Christian household. I attended church every Sunday. In fact, I will legalistically brag to you all right now. I've missed church once in my entire existence, and that is because of the blizzard that wiped out, I don't know what, and all the churches in the Northern Virginia area was closed. So I'm as Pharisaic as anyone can be. So whenever I read the parable of the prodigal son, it disgusts me. How could such a person like that prodigal boy, do that to his family. He literally asked his dad to drop 
dead so that he could get an inheritance in advance. He then left the family that had given him and have taken care of him, and he goes into the city. He spends all that cash on wild living. He hooks up with prostitutes. He parties hard. He gets drunk. Presumably, he even gets high, does drugs, does anything and everything that was available for him to do right then and there. Then, all of a sudden, he had the audacity, once his pockets were drained and empty, once his so-called friends leave him far behind, and once the world returns its back on him, he then goes back to his father and he asks for mercy? That was ridiculous. I mean, when I read the story, it made me sick. I was like, this guy is pathetic. But the son, he comes back, and the father, for reasons unknown, welcomes him back, and I didn't get it. Then there was that older son, the one who stood by the father from day one, the entire time, the one who never disobeyed the father, the one who worked hard every single day, faithfully serving, faithfully being the son that all fathers would want and should have. He gets ticked off at his dad's compassion, and he says, finally, dad, what the heck? And honestly, that was my response too. What the heck? This does not make any sense. How could you welcome that guy who cheated you, that son who ripped you off, that son who tarnished your reputation? How could you bring him back? It does not make any sense. And the elder son says, Dad, all I wanted was a goat to share with my friends and just to have a good time with them. But you kill, you kill a fattened calf for this loser of a son who has spent all this money, defamed you, and comes back and spreads all your wealth and he lives a lifestyle that you'll be ashamed of. I don't get it, Dad. And quite frankly, neither did I. And so for many years, I thought, okay, I know what the moral of this story is. Don't be like the prodigal son. Don't end up like that stupid loser of a prodigal son who went off and did whatever the heck he wanted to do. So I made sure I never got too close to the edge of rebellion. I made sure I wasn't too bad of a son. I made sure I attended all the church events. I read my Bible and I did my prayers. But then one day I came to a realization of why the father said what he said to the older son. You see, the elder son was me. And the elder son was actually worse than the prodigal son. Because while the prodigal son thought he deserved the riches and all that he got from his father... At least that prodigal son soon came to the realization that he deserved nothing. And the only thing he did deserve from his father was to be a slave to him. And paid all back somehow. I don't deserve anything else from you. Father, can I at least come into your home? I don't care. I'll sleep with the servants. I will serve you for the rest of my life to pay you back. The prodigal son, repentantly convicted by guilt and shame, he goes to the father, groveling, crawling back with his head down, filled with contrition, hoping that his father would somehow lovingly, graciously, mercifully allow him back even as a slave. But the older son, the one who thought he was in the right, the one who I thought was being treated unfairly by the father, well, I was wrong the entire time. The elder son was worse because the elder son thought he was owed everything from the father because of his faithfulness and not because of the father's graciousness. 
The eldest son thought he was owed everything because of his obedience and not because of the father's love. That's pride right there, folks. And so I too thought, God, he owed me a good life. And maybe you think that too about your life right now. Maybe you're thinking, 2016 has got to be a different year. I paid my dues in 2015. God, you owe me big now. I screwed up in my relationships. I screwed up in my marriage. I screwed up in my career. I screwed up in my education. I screwed up whatever the situation was. And maybe you thought God had a hand in it and he messed up your life. But now you're thinking, 2016 has got to be different. And so you're thinking, I'm going to read. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to come to church more. I'm going to do this more. Because God, if I do that, then you owe me big. You owe me, Lord, because I was hurt too much last year. You owe me a good job now, Lord. I worked from the bottom up. God, you owe me good income. I, I, I worked my minimum wage job. God, you owe me a good wife, a good car, a good and comfortable living because of what I have done for you. How prideful is that? You see, when the eldest son said that he didn't get a goat to share with his friends, what he was saying was that he deserved all the blessings because of what he's done for the Father rather than what the Father has done for him. And that was my problem growing up, and I believe that's the problem of many people here as well. Look, I think we've all done reckless things in our past, but when we hear the prodigal story, it's actually kind of hard for us to relate to. This guy who goes off, steals his dad's money, essentially, tells his dad to drop dead, then spends his money on loose women, on frivolous living, on, on partying, clubbing, whatever you want to call it. Because, honestly, we think we're not that bad. We're not as bad as him. We're not that rebellious. We weren't that disobedient. Even during our college years, the experimental years, the wild years of our lives, perhaps. Yeah, we may have partied a bit. Maybe we've gotten drunk or high once or twice. Yeah, we may have slept around or hooked up with people. But we're, we don't think we're as bad as the prodigal son. And so as a result of us not thinking that we're not that bad, we begin to think that we're kind of good enough. And when we think we're good enough, we begin to associate our works as a qualification for salvation from God and blessings from God. We think when we do good that we somehow bless God. Can you believe that? And that now God is somehow obligated to love us more and help us out when in reality the goodness that God sees in you, hear me out here, the goodness that God sees in you is the fact that he doesn't actually see you as you are anymore, but he sees his righteous son in you. When God sees you, he doesn't see the sin-stained lives that we continue to live. Instead, he sees the purified heart that Christ died and shed his blood for. So you see, God is blessed not because of you, not because of me. God is blessed in our lives, from our lives, through our lives, because of the righteousness of Jesus blesses the Father and has nothing to do with you. God is no more obligated to bless you this year, guys, as you are obligated to walk down the streets and give the keys to your home and your car to the first stranger you see. And to think that we're saved based on anything that has to do with us is to take away from the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ. 
And so, brothers and sisters, friends, if you have ever thought that ever in your life, this series on Galatians is for you. Furthermore, maybe right now, some of you guys, you're experiencing a lot of doubt. You're thinking, Pastor David, I don't even know if I'm really saved. Maybe you've thought that. Maybe you're thinking that right now. Maybe you have no assurance of your salvation. I grew up in the Christian household. I've gone to church. I've done membership class. I've gone through Bible studies. I read every single book under, the, under great theologians or pastors, but I still don't know if I'm really saved. The reason why we doubt our salvation is because of a faulty understanding of the gospel message. Sometimes we think if we're not making bank, then God's blessing has been removed from us. If we're, not, if we're going through any hardships, then God, he doesn't care about us. If we're sick, then God somehow is cursing us or hating us. That's the prosperity gospel. It's false and it's damning. Brothers and sisters, we don't save ourselves. God saves us. So when we question our salvation, there's one of two reasons. Firstly, like we learned in James, we question our salvation because, if we're to be honest, even we don't see the fruit of our faith, as in there's nothing to indicate that our lives are transformed, that we are born again. You know what that means, brothers and sisters, friends? If you see absolutely no fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life, of a transformed life, it means you are not saved. But fear not. Repent today. Ask God in all his grace and mercy to save a sinner just as he saved me. But the second reason why we doubt is because if you think that it's up to you to justify yourself, then you have every right to question if you're saved or not. If it's up to you to save yourself. But if you trust in God's justification of you through the work and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ's Son, then there's absolutely no need to question or doubt your salvation. Is God big enough? Amen? Is God good enough? And so when he saves you, does he save you? Amen? It's like this. When I'm sick, like we all do, we'll self-diagnose ourselves. I've got these symptoms, so I kind of need that kind of medication. And maybe you'll go on, on WebMD, and you'll look, up, look it up online. You'll put out your symptoms, and maybe you're, you'll try to diagnose yourself. And regardless, you're still a bit unsure. That's why we still have doctors out there and clinics and urgent cares. And so before you do anything, like going to buy medication, you'll be a bit hesitant because you're not a doctor. But once I go to my wife, who is a trained physician, she'll look at me and say, you got this, you need that. I'll go straight to CVS, I'll buy the meds, I'll take it without questioning what I have even once. Much in the same way, many of our doubts and fears come from a skewed, if not limited, understanding of who God is, what Christ has done, and why the Holy Spirit is here. If it was up to me to save myself, then like my good friend Pastor B would always say, then it is always up to me to maintain myself. But by God's grace, he does the saving so that God can also do the maintaining. Amen. I end with this, and I actually had about seven more pages to go. But because we have communion also, I decided to split that 
and just do an introduction like I'm doing right now and leave the remaining of what David read today for next week. And actually, it's good because we're going to start this new thing called you guys preparing yourself for worship. I'm not trying to be sarcastic, but you get to read ahead of the actual text that we'll go over for next week. You can do your own studies. Use that as devotional time. Read it throughout the day, throughout the week, and so that when we talk about it and I preach on it, you'll know, and it won't be coming from left field. If you want a clearer and biblical understanding of God's grace through justification, through sanctification, and eventual glorification, then I pray that you would stick with me for the next few months as we journey through the book of Galatians and see the wonders of what God has done for us through his beloved son, Jesus. Will you stick with me? Amen. And so as we learn more about his grace, I pray and I hope there will be only one response from all of us, and that is worship. That is worship. Many years ago, when I was a little boy, I almost drowned at Spring Hill Recreation Center, if you ever know, if you know where that is, McLean area. I was a young guy, small, uh, not even five feet tall, and I decided to swim in the deep end because I thought I could do it. I could not. So I go there, and I wasn't too far from the ledge, and I also saw a lifeguard sitting on the edge. And he, there he had his whistle and his legs dangling in the water. And I thought, if anything, this is, the, this is the moment for me to try out the deep end swimming. So I go there, I push off the edge, and then I start treading. And I tread for a whole, like, one second or something. It was ridiculous. And immediately, I start going under. And what happens when you're going under? Are you, are you patient and calm? No. You start screaming, and you start drinking more water, and it makes everything even worse. So I began going under and drinking water and just flailing about. And I thought, where's the stupid lifeguard? <laughs> no, my, my family did not flash before my eyes. It was just pure hatred towards that lifeguard who was, who was right there and should have done his job. But all of a sudden, I feel this tug on my right brought me to the ledge, and there I am just gasping for air, coughing up water and whatever. And I look, and I see my sister. And she looks at me. <laughs> and she says first, are you okay? And I just look at her kind of like this. And she goes, go over there. It was, it was actually a watershed moment for me at that time, despite all the times that she tried to kill me before. <clears throat> As an older sibling, she, that moment I realized, I am indebted to you. And in many ways, in a greater way, man, our Lord and Savior, I hope and pray that you would take this year not to... Read the Bible to be loved by God more, but to read the Bible to read the love of God more. And to know what he's all about and how he has expressed that amazing sacrifice by sending us a lifeguard who actually did his job and saved us from a lifetime, an eternity of eter eternal torment. And so that our one response would not be a legalistic, pharisaic, well, let me do this, God, to, to prove myself to you. 
let me do this, God, to make sure that I'm qualified. No, no, so you see, no one is qualified just as I was drowning. I was not qualified to be there. And quite frankly, all of us, all of, every single one here, we're all drowning too in this life. But it's through that unqualification that God, he knows, and he lifts us up. And he says, it has to be me. So God is the one who saves us. And that leads us to worship. That leads us to a lifetime of devotion. A lifetime of love. And I pray and hope that as we continue on in our series here, that a growing love and passion for our Lord Jesus Christ would begin to spark in your life. Let's take this time and pray as we prepare for this time of communion. It is our first Sunday of the month and the year. And I want to encourage you all to take this moment and pray a sinner's prayer. If you have not given your life over to the Lord and you have simply been a professing believer, but one who hasn't been showing it through your lifestyle change. Well, quite frankly, a lifestyle that has not been changed is quite indicative of a spirit that has not changed. And maybe some of you, you know you are a believer. You know that you are saved by the mercy and grace of, of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. But maybe it's been time that you've been kind of straying away from Him. Maybe a bit distracted like that prodigal son. Well, guess what? That prodigal son, even at the worst point in his life, had enough sense and knew his father enough that his father would welcome him. Don't let guilt and shame keep you from approaching God's grace, from approaching the mercy seat of God. Come before him this afternoon. Repent and say, Lord, I want right with you. I want you this year. I want you from this point on. God, change my life right now. Stir me a new heart. I want my eyes to be set upon you this year. I want my heart and my passions and my ambitions and everything to be for you and all about you. Let's take this moment and pray and I'll lead us into uh, the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. And now as we get ready for the Lord's Supper, I would encourage you all to take this moment to self-examine yourself and to evaluate your own heart, your own life. You see, God, He does not want you to partake in the elements of the Lord's Supper if, like it's just another thing that we do or that's another meal that we have. He wants you to be sober-minded. That means to be thoughtful, to be clear-minded and understand the gravity of what's going on here. This is a time when we need to pray to God and we got to make sure and say, Lord, are we right with you right now? Is there a sin in my life that I'm harboring, that I'm holding back because I don't want to let go of it or maybe I don't, I'm not really aware of it, but whatever the issue might be, Father, would you bring to light, would you expose in my life that very sin? And, and brothers and sisters, I, wanna, I want you to know, do not ever minimize the work of sin in your life. It could be, in your eyes, the smallest of things, something that you probably don't even have to worry about, you feel or you think. But in actuality, its roots go so deep that it will influence everything you are, everything you do. 
And it's the very sin that cuts you off from fellowship with our Lord. It is that sin that we must repent of. It is that sin that the Holy Spirit right now is asking you to clear up and get right with God. This is the only time with that saying, you can't judge me, only God can judge me. Well, here's the thing, you can judge yourself now. You can judge yourself and keep yourself from being disciplined by God's loving, righteous, firm hands. And the Bible says that when we don't examine our hearts and yet we take the Lord's Supper, we are disobeying God's word. Just because you may overlook that sin in your life does not mean that God will. Remember, we are doing this to remember the bloodshed of His Son, His Son, Jesus Christ. So take a moment to pray. If you believe in the sacrifice, the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and He is your Lord and Savior, and you believe that your life is dedicated to Him in complete higher devotion where you will live the remainder of your life to glorify His name, and where you know that the Bible, the Word of God, is our final and complete authority. Where you believe that Jesus is truly the truth, the way, the life. No one else comes to the Father except through Him. If you believe that and you desire to live it out in obedience, then please join me. Come to the sides and partake in this Lord's Supper. Let's bow our heads. I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, this moment centers around that memory. And how this bread should call everyone's mind to the body of Christ who is broken on our behalf. And that this juice, this fruit of the vine, should call everyone's mind to the shed blood of Christ that established the new covenant. Lord, I thank you that you are using these two very simple elements here in the Lord's Supper to display a great spiritual truth. That this should remind us God, that this is what it took to save us. To redeem us. To allow for this very moment where we can look up into the heavens and call you personally, Abba, Father. It has come down to the point where your son Jesus had come on the cross that bore my name and you died there for me, for us. So may we be ever so mindful of this moment here.
We thank you for your sacrifice, Jesus, for your willingness and your obedience. Father, we thank you for your great love for us that you would even send and kill your own son on our behalf. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are with us and that you are moving in us and transforming us and making us more like the Son, Jesus Christ. So we lift you up and we thank you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Please join me.